take our Bibles and we're going to turn to the book of Hebrews once again, chapter number 11, Hebrews chapter 11. And the last couple of Sunday nights as we've been um, in the book of Hebrews, we've been talking of course about uh, the subject of faith. And really I mentioned a couple of times now that the first few verses of this chapter are really the definition of faith. We call it faith defined. And then the latter portion of the chapter would be faith demonstrated, the examples of lives that are lived by faith. And tonight, I'm glad that we're getting into the message early because I'm going to warn you at the outset, we are going to look at everything that the Bible has to say about a man by the name of Enoch. And uh, so I hope, I mean, buckle up. And we've been studying the life of David for months uh, in Sunday school, so uh, just be ready, okay? Uh, but Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to begin tonight. And uh, if you're there, would you stand with me as we read verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 11? It says here, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Enoch, that man... The Bible says here in Hebrews was translated, the way it's expressed in Genesis is that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He is one of only two men in the Bible that never faced death. He was born and lived a pretty normal life, but was taken by God and somehow translated from this life into the next life without seeing death. The only other one that would fit that description would be Elijah. If you remember, he was taken up uh, in a chariot of fire and, 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 and caught away. And really, these two men are the only two in history, at least that the Bible records, that have not had to die. Why? Because it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. But apparently, there are exceptions to that rule. And uh, there was Enoch, and there was Elijah, and oh, by the way, there's coming a generation of believers that will not see death because uh, we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord will not prevent them which are asleep, which are asleep, but the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, but we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together uh, to meet the Lord in the air, right? And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm looking forward to that. I hope that I'm one who's translated and doesn't have to see death. But this man... Enoch was one of those few. Now here's what I love, uh, one of the things that I love about this chapter, this Hall of Faith chapter in the Bible. Uh, if, if you or I were to set out to list a, a uh, or to compile a list of our, the heroes of our faith, we would probably prioritize those that we consider to be the greatest among them and as, the, uh, as we began to run out of time and space, we might uh, start limiting the amount that we have to say about them. And if we were to do that, 
we would probably spend most of our time talking about men like Moses and David and the Apostle Paul and some of these different ones, but that's not exactly how this chapter is laid out. In fact, the first two men who are mentioned in Hebrews 11, Abel and Enoch, we actually know very little about them in their lives. We know just a couple of little things, uh, 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 really one or two things that they did. For instance, Abel off making that offering to God. We know he was a keeper of the sheep. He made this offering to God, and then he was killed by his brother. We really know very little else about him. And then you come to this man Enoch, and I made the joke at the beginning that tonight we're going to look at everything the Bible has to say about him. But the reason is because he's only mentioned in three places in Scripture other than uh, there are a couple of places that his name comes up in a genealogy. But as far as anything descriptive about him, we read a little bit. We've got about four verses on him in the book of Genesis. We've got this verse in Hebrews 11 and verse number 5. And then over in the book of Jude, we're told that he gave a prophecy uh, about apostasy in the last days and the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints to, uh, to execute judgment upon the earth. And so these are the things that we know about him. And yet, God saw, it fit, saw fit to put his name in the Hall of Faith chapter in the Bible. Isn't that incredible? Meanwhile, you have men, look over at verse number 32. Look at this. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. So you have men like David and Gideon and Samuel and, oh, by the way, all the prophets that didn't make their way into this chapter by name and description of what they did by faith. They're almost just a footnote, an afterthought. And here you have a man about whom we know very little, and yet God saw fit to put his name here. And he put his name here really as an example to us. He, he gives us a description. It's, it's that faith demonstrated. It's that example of a man who lived a life of faith, in essence, because there's something about a life of faith that we can learn from Enoch, this man who we know very little about. I think it's really, the fact is that this chapter doesn't necessarily chronicle every achievement of man, but it describes really their defining characteristics. And what we have about Enoch here is a defining characteristic of this man whose life of faith was exemplary, so much so that he experienced something that only one other man in the history of the world ever has, to not see death because he was translated. You say, wow, what, what is that? Well, I want to first of all show you his testimony. I want to show you what it says about his testimony. Verse number 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation. Notice, not before his death, but before God called him home, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What is your testimony? Think with me on this for a moment. 
At your funeral, what will people say about you? Oh, he was a good man. He loved his family. She was always willing to serve and care for others. She had a big heart. He was so generous. He was so funny. What are the things that people would say about you? What is your testimony? What, you, what will you be remembered by? Here is a man that lived not very long ago. The Bible says in Jude, this is, this is referring to that man who was the seventh from Adam. So 6,000 years ago, almost. Here's a man that lived so long ago, we know very little about him. But here's one thing we know. His testimony was that he pleased God. That's what he was known for. Now, friend, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just trying to be overly uh, spiritualizing this or anything. But, but should this not be our greatest desire in life? To have the testimony. By the way, not only among other people, but this is inspired scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is God saying that the testimony of this man was that he pleased God. Should that not be your greatest desire that according to God, you have a testimony of pleasing him? I think too often we find ourselves striving to bear the testimony of pleasing others. We want to be well liked. We want people to speak well of us. And so sometimes we even really stretch ourselves too thin in an attempt to be accepted by men. But Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. He lived his life with the express purpose of doing that which would be pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. And folks, I know that I say this frequently, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I say it as much as a reminder to myself as I do as a reminder to you. It really doesn't matter what people think of us. But there's one thing that does matter, and that is what God knows about us. Because God knows everything about us, does he not? Not only our actions, but even our thoughts. He, he knows our meditations. He knows our motivations. He knows everything about us. He knows more about us than we know. And what other people think of us really doesn't matter in, in the big scheme of things. It doesn't matter whether people think well of you or people think poorly of you. What matters is what God knows about you. Now, I'm not saying don't worry about your testimony in front of other people because God would desire that you would seek to keep a good testimony for his name's sake. But at the end of the day, it's not our reputation that's on the line. We, are, we ought to be living for the, for the glory of God. That, that is to be, and it's been expressed this way before, to be living for an audience of one. To wake up 
every day and live for one purpose, how can I please God today? What would the Lord have me to do today? And if that is our purpose in life, and if that is how we live, and by the way, if you can go to bed tonight and lay your head down on your pillow with a clear conscience between you and God, what else matters? Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God. Now, you might look at this and say, well, that's a difficult thing. How, how can I please God? And you might even look at other people. And I, I'm, again, I'm so thankful that this little known man in the Bible is listed here. Because it would be easy, if we skipped on past this, to look at a man like Abraham or Moses and think to ourselves, they pleased God, but I'm not Abraham and I'm not Moses. I I mean, I can't do the things that they did. God is never going to use me to bring plagues upon the enemies of God and His people. He's never going to use me to part the Red Sea, and he's never going to use me to lead a congregation of millions of people. And so that must be exclusive to the great ones. But friend, I'm going to say this with no disrespect to Enoch whatsoever, but with absolute confidence, if Enoch pleased God, you can please God. God's not looking for someone who is able to do amazing and incredible things. You say, well, what was this testimony that Enoch had? What was he known for? What could people look at him and see in him that that they could say, he pleases God? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5, where we read of him. Begin reading in verse number 21, and here's what it says. And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and he begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. These are the words of that man. You say, well, what what did he do? Can you name one great thing that Enoch did? Well, he gave that prophecy that we read over in Jude. Yep, he did. But that's almost mentioned as like a... You know, it's like when you... If you're writing an essay... And you quote someone else, you've got to give them credit, you know? You've got to put that in the notes. You have to to cite where you got that content. That's kind of how that reads over in Jude. It's like, yes, he said this, but that was just Enoch. And so what, what was the defining characteristic of a life 
that was lived in a way that God said, this pleases me. Well, as far as I can see, it was as simple as this. Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. And God was pleased with that. Is it possible that too often we overcomplicate a life that is pleasing to God? Because this is so simple. In a time when the world wanted nothing to do with God, for the most part, Enoch walked with God. And by the way, I told you that he was in this elite class because he was one of only two men that the Bible says didn't face death. They were just taken. They were translated. But there's another category in which he is one of only two in the Bible. And that is this. There are only two people in the Bible where the Bible specifically states that they walked with God. Now, I'm not saying that nobody else in the Bible walked with God. We see the principles there. We see people where it states that they walked in His ways, and they walked before Him. And we see the Lord saying that we ought to walk with Him. But there are only two men where the Bible specifically states that this man walked with God. And it was Enoch, and it was Noah. Both of these men lived in a pagan time. They lived in a time where, where uh, the, the, the thoughts of, of man's hearts were evil continually. There, there was wickedness abounding in the earth. And they stood out from the world. Not because of great achievements and great accomplishments, but because they walked with God. Go with me, if you would, over to the book of Micah. Micah chapter 6. I think I've showed you this before. But it really is a, I think, kind of a tragic scenario. Because as the Lord, even in chapter 6 and verse number 1, He says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith, Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. In other words, uh, uh, basically he's pleading with his people to reason with him. He says in verse number three, O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. By the way, God is a reasonable God. Isaiah says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. I'm thankful. Listen, we have no right to reply against God. We have no right to accuse God. We have no right to be angry with God or bitter against God. But I'm thankful that we do serve a God who's willing to say, Hey, talk to me and tell me what's in your heart. And then I want you to notice the reply of his people. Because this reads like a conversation And here's the reply of of God's people. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? In other words, if, if I bring a sacrifice to God, would he be pleased with that? If I come with burnt offerings or or with calves of a year old, will he be pleased? Verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Uh, Lord, if if I gave you everything I had, if I gave you more than what I have, it still wouldn't be good enough for you. And then, one of the most 
rebellious, blasphemous, insulting statements in all the Bible is made here where he says this, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God, what do you want from me? You want me to give my children? You want me to sacrifice my children to you? You say, well, why is that such an insult? Because God was angry with his people because that is exactly what they were doing. They were offering their children to false pagan gods. And now they're saying to Jehovah, their Lord, if I did that for you, it wouldn't be good enough. Now think about this with me. God has never required the sacrifice of our children in order to please Him. Oh, He tested Abraham, but He wouldn't allow him to go through with it. God has never required human sacrifice from us but he offered his firstborn son for your transgressions and mine. How insulting to a holy and righteous God to say, there's nothing we could do that would ever please you. Nothing we ever do is good enough, God. Look at the Lord's reply in verse number 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and notice this, and to walk Humbly with thy God. You know what God says? I want you to walk with me. And in walking with me, I want you to do justly. And I want you to love mercy. You know what that is? That really is a description of God's nature. We heard about it this morning. His perfect justice. The judgment of God, he's wonderful in judgment, but he's also wonderful in his salvation. He's full of grace and truth. He is a God that is the righteous judge, but he is also full of mercy. And he says, I just want you to walk with me and seek to be like me. You say, well, how could I ever please God? It starts with walking with God. It starts with walking with God. Enoch's testimony was that he pleased God. What did he do? He walked with God. And when all these people are looking at God and saying, how could we ever please you? He says, walk with me. Christian friend, what are you doing to try to please God? Oh, well, you know, I... I read my Bible and I pray and I go to church and, 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 and I try to serve and I'm, I, I try to do good and I try to do the right thing. And I just want to ask you this. Are you walking with God? It's possible to do all those things and not be walking with God. It's possible to do things without being in fellowship with God. To walk with Him has this, has this connotation of being in communication and being in fellowship with Him. 
And oh, by the way, I think if we go back to Hebrews, it kind of defines for us what it means to walk with God. Take a look with me, if you would. Hebrews 11 and verse number 6, because it just said he had this testimony that he pleased God. Verse 5, but then verse 6 says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that, what? Diligently seek him. What does it mean to walk with God? Here's what it means, to diligently seek him. That's what Enoch did. In his life, he diligently sought God. He lived his life in pursuit of God. What are you pursuing in your life? What do you live your life for? Enoch walked with God and he diligently sought Him. I said a moment ago, it's possible to come to church, it's possible to read your Bible, it's possible to pray and not walk with God. But friend, if you want to walk with God, those are things that you need in your life. Because God has revealed himself through his word. Therefore, the desire of a seeker of God is to know the word of God and apply it in their life. Christian friend, how's your fellowship with God? Are you in the word? I have very, I have mixed feelings about... um, In in a few weeks, as we look into the new year, uh, we're going to pass out a a Bible reading schedule. Uh, And I'm going to promote that to you. Because I think it's a good thing to systematically read through the Bible and even keep track of where you've been and all of that. But, But I have mixed feelings about those things. Because it's possible... To sit down and read your Bible in order to check it off the list of a thing to do. And to not really be seeking God in it. And what you really need to do is seek God through His Word. I feel the same way about prayer lists. Prayer lists are a positive thing because they help us remember. And some of us get more forgetful all the time of things that we ought to be praying for. And people that we need to be remembering. And I'm, I'm... I'm not against, I'm thankful for prayer lists, but I also know that it's possible to just kind of rely on a prayer list. Okay, I read through these chapters today and I prayed through this list today and so I've checked that mark and now I'm off to do my own thing and that's not a life lived in pursuit of God. If you're going to pursue God, you need to seek Him. By the way, it doesn't end there. You need to be faithful in church and and come and sit and listen to the preaching of the Word of God. But you are not spiritually better off because you've been in God's house today. Unless you have come here seeking God and really seeking to get something that you can take with you and bring out and carry out in your life and apply the truth of this and live it out in your life. I'm just saying, friend... It's possible to go through the motions of things and not really be seeking God, but a person who is walking with God is someone who is diligently seeking Him. And I want to just plead with you tonight because it's so crucial uh, for, for each of us. 
And yet the world is trying so hard to distract you and turn your attention away from Him to other things. And yet I want to say to you tonight, with all the love and the compassion that I can, you need to walk with God because without Him we are nothing. You need to know Him. You need to seek Him. You need to be in fellowship with God. And I want to show you this as well, because in verse number 6, it says that, that, that those who seek to please God are those that diligently seek Him. But they do so because, it says, without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is. In other words, that, that, that is an acceptance. I won't rehash this too much because we covered it a couple weeks ago. It's an acceptance of God for who He is as He has revealed Himself. We are not simply dreaming up a God of our own imaginations. We are accepting God for who He is and how He has declared Himself. God is God. He is the I Am. And whatever God has said is so. And so it's not up to us to try to define or redefine or, or somehow come up with a God of our own imagination. We must believe that He is. But then beyond that, what, what do we have to believe? What is the motivator behind this? We must believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You know, in the world today, there is no shortage of workaholics. Some of you might fit that description. I won't point any fingers. Now, a workaholic, we use that term loosely, of course. Someone who works diligently because, listen, because they believe something. Maybe their motivation is earning income. And they believe that if they will diligently labor and work, that they will be financially rewarded. In fact, if you didn't believe that, you probably wouldn't work very hard. How many of you would get up and go to work tomorrow if you didn't think a paycheck was coming? Not very many. Some people say, well, it's really not about the money. It's about the purpose. There's something I'm building. And you find your purpose in your work and the things you do. There's nothing wrong with that. But you do that because you believe that there's value in what you're doing. You believe that your life is enriched by that or your family's life or others' lives are being enriched and that is what motivates you to give of your time and your energy and your focus and intentionality because you know that I'm doing this for a reason. I believe in the outcome of this thing. Is it possible that we fail to walk with God because we do not believe in the outcome of that thing. We don't really believe that we need Him in the way that we say we believe. Do you know, think about this. Every time you go through life without depending on the Lord... You're living as a practical atheist. In your mind, 
When you operate in your flesh, here's what you're telling yourself. Here's what you believe. I don't need God. Because if you really believed you need God, you know what you'd do? You'd seek Him. And so in, in order to have a life that is wrapped up in walking with God and diligently seeking God, you have to have this belief that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That it's actually a worthwhile endeavor. That it's worth my time to, to really seek Him through His Word. To spend some time on my face before God in prayer. Because it's not just some empty religious ritual that I'm going through. It, it, I, am, I am connecting with, I am in fellowship with the very God of the universe. And my life is going to be better if I'll seek Him. I want to walk with God. Friend, how's your walk with God? You want to please Him? Walk with Him. Enoch had a testimony. How's your testimony before God tonight? 